Hey, Javis, this week's Parsha is Parsha's Noach, and I'm going to ask three questions once again and talk about the Aftar a little bit in the answer with that one you saw that will answer all three questions, and then maybe some real-life examples. The first question I want to talk about is, it says in the beginning of this week's Parsha that Noach was an Ish Tzadik, but he was in he was Haya Tamim Bidorosav. He was in Ish Tamim Bidorosav. He was this uh, man who was pure in his generation. Now, Chazal take that to mean two things. Either A, it could be Lebracha, it could be a blessing for Noach, in that it means that he would have been even greater had he lived in the generation of Avraham or in the generation of Shmuel or Moshe. Yet Chazal seemingly take this to be a Ganai as well. And that had he lived in the generation of Shmuel, Avraham, Moshe, he may not have been as great. And he may have been a nobody. I don't know if he would have been a Russia, but he wouldn't have been as great as this Tzaddik described in this Pasuk. The simple question is, is where did this opinion of Chazal come from? How could you degrade Noah, this Tzaddik seemingly, who really stands out as his personality in Tanakh and really just throughout the Torah, he's, he's a real character in the Torah and Chazal is going to put this character down in a serious, serious demeaning way. How does Chazal do that? Why does Chazal do that? Where is that even coming from in the Pesachim? That's question number one. Later on in the Parsha, it says after Noach was done building the Teva, after 120 years, he finally gets into the Teva. And the Pasuk relates, Because of the rainwaters of the flood. Now, only because of the floodwaters did he get into the Teva. Rashi there comments, and quotes a Medrash, that why did he only get in when it was the May Mabel? It was because he had a lack of Amuna in Hashem that perhaps maybe the Mabel would not come. And because the Mabel would not come, why should he get in the Teva until the last second? That was a lack of Amuna on Noach's part. Again, Chazal seemingly put down this Tzaddik and they question his Amuna. How do you question someone's Amuna like this? We're talking about Noach, who spent 120 years building the Teva. How, where's Chazal getting this conclusion that Noah, one of the greatest, the greatest tzaddik at the time, the entire world ends up being built off of him. They're going to question his amuna because of three words, mipnei mehamabel. Where is Chazal getting that from? Why are they doing that? Now, I want to question Chazal one last time, possibly, before we answer these questions. And the third question comes from Baba Basra, Andaf Tezayin Amar Aleph. In Tezayin Amar Aleph and Baba Basra specifically, there's a whole discussion on the sugya of Eov. What generation did he live in? What type of guy was he? And it literally goes through most of Eov, all the Pesachim. It goes through every other Pesach in Eov. It's unbelievable. Agadada. One of the quotes there I found was in regards to Eov, whether he was a tzaddik or not. Now, Eov is in Tanakh. It is worthy to note that Eov is noted in Sefer Eov as a tzaddik. The question is, is what level of a tzaddik was he? This is a machlokas that's brought down in Baba Basra. Abaye versus Rava. Abaye seemingly says, he was a big tzaddik, Amor, there's nothing to question here. The Pasuk says, Bechol zos Iov lo chata bisfasav. That during the entire life of Iov, I may have gotten that quote a bit wrong, but during the entire life of Iov, he did not sin during his life with his mouth. Now, Rava takes that to mean he didn't sin with his mouth, but he did sin with his heart. Eov did have heretical thoughts. He was, in a certain sense, a heretic with his heart, though, but not with his mouth. Now, Rava seemingly puts this weird twist on Eov, which we didn't see before. From the Psukim, 
it is clear that he is a tzaddik. Yet on Rava's second take, on his second look at Eov, it appears that he is not a tzaddik. He is rather possibly even a rasha, whereby we'll disagree on that. Yet Rava has this interesting view. And this is our third question. Where does Rava even get that view from? Why is he coming up with such a view that Eov is possibly a heretic? Why is he able to say that? So to repeat the three questions. Question number one was, how could Chazal start wrecking Noah, who is clearly referred to as a tzaddik? And because of this one word, bidoro sav, we're going to say only in his generation he would have been a tzaddik. In any other generation, he may have been even a Russia or maybe just a normal person. Question number two is, why is Chazal questioning Noah's emunah if there was really nothing to question? He was listening to Hashem for 120 years, and then what? All of a sudden, he doesn't get into the teva. And three words were hinted at, mipnei mehamabel. And you're going to question Noah's entire belief in Hashem? That's seemingly a crazy view. Where are they getting that view from? And question number three is from Eov. Eov in Baba Masra, and we said, Eov is referred to as a tzaddik mefurosh by the psukim. Yet it seems that Rav and Abai have a machlokas, whether he was really a tzaddik or maybe even possibly a rasha, according to Rava. Where is this view of Rava coming from? I want to maybe say that the yesod that we're learning possibly from these three divrei chazal is that people are more complex than they seem to be. Oftentimes we view people as either they're big tzaddik or they're big rasha. There's no in-between. Yeshayahu in this week's Haftorah hints to us that we have a complex relationship with Hashem. During Yeshayahu's time, he lived during the Beis HaMikdash, the first Beis HaMikdash's time, toward 100 years before the end of the first Beis HaMikdash. The Jews were sitting at that time, but it didn't seem like the Beis HaMikdash would necessarily be destroyed. Yeshayahu hints to the fact that the Beis HaMikdash will be destroyed, but don't worry, there will be a salvation in the end. He hints to an interesting and complex relationship that we have to Hashem, which he talks about how we are divorced from Hashem. We will be like a divorced wife, but Hashem will take us back in the end. Hashem will hide his face from us, but nevertheless, he will take us back and he will show us his face again, hinting to a very complex relationship that we have to Hashem. Hashem himself, we're, sh- is being, we're being shown by Yeshayahu, is a complex God. He's not simple. If he were simple, he wouldn't be worth worshiping. And our relationship with him is even more complex. We have our highs, we have our lows, like any human beings do, any generation does. And we will suffer the consequences of those lows, but nevertheless, those highs will come back and Hashem will show us his face again. An interesting real world example of the complexity of human beings is from a podcast I was listening to by Malcolm Gladwell. It's called Revisionist History. And in one of the podcasts, he was talking about Princeton University. And one of their halls is called the Woodrow Wilson Hall or Woodrow Wilson Chamber, whatever it is. And there was a whole discussion sparked a few years ago whether or not they should change the name of the Woodrow Wilson Hall to a different name because Woodrow Wilson was a a racist. Woodrow Wilson in the 1920s, when he became president, reversed a lot of civil laws that had blacks earning the same wage as whites. And he reversed that and put a big backtrack on the entire civil rights pursuit at the time. Now, Woodrow Wilson was named a racist only later by later generations, but he thought he wasn't a racist because at that time, that was not a racist thing to necessarily do because the civil rights movement has not yet kicked off at the time in the 1920s. They wanted to possibly change the Woodrow Wilson chamber into something else. So one of the presidents of Princeton suggested, let's just have a sign, a post under the Woodrow Wilson chamber that will read, the president 
of Prince, the president of the United States and the president of Princeton, Woodrow Wilson, had a lot of achievements and it would list all of his achievements. Then a plaque under that in small lettering would write, he was a complex personality with racism issues and prejudice issues. And due to his time when he lived, he may have had views on prejudice and racism that are not viewed well today. Now, reading this, we see the complexity of Woodrow Wilson, an incredible president during the time of World War I, and overall his policies and would view, be viewed as most as a successful president. Yet now, looking back, when we have serious more, seriously more equality than we used to have amongst the black and white community, we view Woodrow Wilson as this Russia. But in reality, at his time, he was really a tzaddik. He was almost this personality like Noah. And it's hard to view Woodrow Wilson as a Russia at that time because he was just doing what was normal at the time. I was thinking of this and I was thinking about some of this, these divrei Torah through the week. And I just got back to my apartment and no one was home. And these people, my next door neighbors, they left a letter on our door a few weeks ago because we left a bunch of trash outside over the Chagim. We weren't so clean. We're seven army guys living in uh, an apartment. So we left some trash outside for guys to take down. Guys being guys, you know, we didn't take it down exactly. And we kind of left in the hallway. Instead of knocking on our door, they left a note on our door. And the note read in pretty severe terms about the trash we left outside. Now, they weren't wrong necessarily, but this rubbed us all the wrong way. I'll just read a quick quote from the letter. It makes our building look like a tenant slum. The hallway is a joint building property and there's no reason that we and our friends coming to visit us should be inconvenienced by the site. You do not see us or our other neighbors leaving their refuse outside their apartments. It is especially unpleasant as it spoiled the holiday atmosphere every time we entered or left our apartment. Then they go on to say how we would uh, love to help you guys and whatever, but after we read that, it definitely rubbed us the wrong way. We definitely felt bad and we knew we were in the wrong. But the normal thing to do would just be to knock and maybe say, you know, can you guys just get the trash out of here? It's not so nice that you left out here. And they would have been 100% right. I definitely agree we were in the wrong, but this definitely rubbed us the wrong way. Now, I came home today and I didn't have my key to the apartment. I left it in one of the suitcases and outside our door in a little hiding spot. And the cleaning help came and they took it and I didn't have it anymore. So I tried getting into the apartment, no one was home. And so I tried calling everyone and everyone was in the army and I was the only one back. So I was out of luck. And I had to get to my place that I had to go for Shabbos in only three hours. So what was I gonna do? Now I was hesitant to knock on these neighbors' doors. So I was gonna try to knock on the other neighbors' doors, but that was of no avail. So I knock on these neighbors' doors who left us the note and they welcome me in and they're like, oh my gosh, we're so sorry that you don't have a key. They got me some coffee, some cake. They said, okay, where does your, where's your cleaning lady right now? So I said, she's in East Jerusalem. It's not such an easy thing to get from her. So they start calling people who might have a key. No one has a key. So finally he takes me and he says, okay, change here. Take these shoes, take this clothing. He literally gives me a pair of clothing, a pair of shoes, everything. And I take off my kippah and my tzitzah so that I could walk through East Jerusalem unnoticed. Uh, we drive into East Jerusalem to where my cleaning lady works in a hotel there. And we go get the key from this uh, cleaning help that we have for the apartment. And he drives me back and we're talking the whole time. This is probably over a couple hours. And the entire time I was just thinking to myself, wow, 
this person that I judged so harshly is just a little bit more complex than I thought he was. And so I think that's what we're learning from Noah. To judge people at first sight is something we tend to do. To judge people first by the Pesachim we see in Tanakh is something we oftentimes do. But I believe what Chazal is pointing to is that people are more complex than they perhaps seem to be. And I think that's what we can learn from this Parsha. Have a great Shabbos.